Okay, and we are back. Do you t- do you take a sweet water? Do you want to do that? I'm gonna do that actually. Yeah. Should we wait till the street cleaner's done going by? No, it's beautiful. It's part of the ambience. Oh, I love it. Hello and namaste, and welcome to another episode of The Documentary Life, a podcast that sets out to inspire and educate each and every one of us on what it means, as well as how to best lead a documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and I want to thank you for listening to this show and for living your own documentary life. In 2009, I set out to begin filming on what would become my documentary directorial debut, a film called Journey to Kathmandu. I went to film an annual trek that goats would make from their farmland lives in Tibet, all the way through the Himalaya Mountains to their sacrificial deaths in Kathmandu, Nepal, during the all-important Nepalese holiday known as Dalsai. It was a special time for me. I had been working for two years holding fundraisers, applying for grants, amassing the required film gear, getting myself into trekking shape, and reading as much material and watching as many documentaries as I could get my hands on that pertained to the country of Nepal. I would spend nearly three months with one particular family, the Ariels, who were from the Gorkha region, but ran their small tea shop in the heart of Kathmandu City. I was honored and fortunate enough to spend time with Prem, his wife Goma, and their two children, Kapil and Kopila whether it was in and around their tiny shop in Kathmandu or up in the mountains of Gorkha with their extended family during the festival time. And while I'm very happy with the film itself, ultimately it's the time that I shared with the Ariel family, the time that I spent with my local crew up in the Himalayas filming herds of goats that I'll always cherish the most. And that's the funny thing about documentary filmmaking. Oftentimes, at least in my experience, the film itself almost takes the back seat, secondary to the actual experience of the making of the film. The time spent with the families whose stories you were so delicately capturing, and of course later on weaving together, as well as the local people that you would work with during the course of filming. So I was very excited and greatly looking forward to having a conversation with today's guest, who not only makes his living telling the stories of people from other parts of the world, but in this case, with he and his wife, they spent time in Nepal making their first feature documentary, a film called Drawing the Tiger. There will be a few main topics of discussion today. Firstly, we're going to delve into what it's like logistically and creatively to work in a developing country. In today's case, we'll be talking about Nepal, a country that both myself and my guests have spent significant amounts of time working in. Secondly, we're going to discuss what it's like working creatively and professionally with your significant other. And lastly, we'll get into how sometimes one's documentary film can be the catalyst for some other venture or calling that they hadn't anticipated. Of course, as is always the case with this show, we'll not be limited by these chosen topics. They shall just provide us some guideposts for the show's content. And as I tend to recommend when one is making a documentary film, we'll remain open to the possibilities that the road might just take us to places we'd never anticipated. Today's guest's name is Scott Squire. Scott and his wife, Amy, are based out of Seattle, Washington, where they run the content creating production company, Nonfiction Media. 
They are the filmmaking team behind last year's award-winning documentary, Drawing the Tiger, a film which was shot entirely in the South Asian country of Nepal, a country which many of my listeners may already be somewhat familiar with from hearing me talk about it on this program. Without further ado, it is my distinct pleasure to be joined today by fellow documentary lifer, Scott Squire. Welcome to the show, Scott. Yeah, happy to be here, Chris. Uh, for, uh, right from the outset, something I, I want to I mention is that you know, there's, there's an obvious connection between you and I that we share, which is that we both shot documentaries in Nepal. Uh, I'd like to mention really quick how you and I sort of first met, albeit in, I guess in the virtual sense, um, through a good friend of mine and colleague, who I believe you, you and Amy may have met last year at the, and help me remember the name of the, the documentary workshop that would have been in or near Portland. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was just I who was there. It was at Oregon okay. Doc Camp, Oregon Documentary Camp at yes. um, Silver Falls, I think, outside yeah, of Portland. Yeah, right in there. Silver Falls, beautiful area. Whew, boy, oh boy. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, he had seen Drawing the Tiger and a couple of months ago had brought it to my attention and he asked me if I had seen it and I, and I wasn't uh, aware of the film at the time. So because of the connection that I had with Nepal and because you guys were just up here in Seattle, I thought that I'd reach out, talk to you guys and, uh, and yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here and happy to be meeting you and discussing um, not only your guys' film, but of course your time in Nepal and then um, a few of these other sort of subjects that we'll, that we'll, that we'll touch upon. The way that I understand it is Drawing the Tiger did not initially start out as a documentary film, per se. Um, you didn't set out to make this film. It happened in a sort of maybe backdoor or circuitous way. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how, that, how it came to be? In 2007, uh, Amy and I went in search of the story that we could tell uh, sort of our own our own personal bent. We wanted to tell the story we could tell that would most um, most illuminate the value of girls' education as a place to focus our resources, primarily in the developing world. But but wherever you look, you can see the value of of, of particularly girl-focused education efforts. Um, at that time in 2007, we were pretty freshly minted production company owners and. Um, we wanted to go and go do a big banner project. Yeah. And so we started started asking around, and pretty shortly we were introduced to a fellow who runs an organization um, out of California that has a component in Nepal that get, that gives scholarships to poor girls to study in the capital city, Kathmandu. Right, right. So we were contracted to make a sort of a 30-minute promotional tract for this organization, uh, primarily to give to their donors and prospective donors. Um, it's bread and butter for guys like you and me a lot right. of the time pretty, pretty classic we went over there uh, spent like a good long time on the ground i mean we were there for two and a half months yeah. um at that time um a month of that was a trek so we accompanied uh, okay. a bunch of high dollar donors on a on a big trek but uh the time that we spent filming on the ground uh, three three really solid weeks four if you take you know finding our way yeah. four weeks I guess filming yeah. so we did we did sort of day in the life stories of three girls and we ended, ended up shooting actually five but we featured three 
um, Day in the Life stories, each of which took a couple of days to film. Okay. And then we went a little bit deeper with a couple of them. And one of them was uh, was Shanta, this young woman who ultimately became the primary subject of, of drawing the tiger. And what happened was we just really clicked with this girl. We resolved that even after we're back in the States, we're, 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 we've completed our contract with this organization, we're going to continue telling the story because we felt like we, we, we've locked into the very avatar of the positive possibilities of globalization. Let me just stop you just for a yeah. second. For clarification for my listeners, tell us again that this was indeed a commission project initially. And did you complete your responsibility on the commission project and then decided to... Move yeah, to, to your project. I was like, how did that? Okay, exactly right. We while we were in the field, Amy and I realized, okay, well, this is this is the stuff we want to be in. This is the story we want to be telling, and we we may or may not get support from the organization that we're here contracted to work with. We're going to go home, fulfill our contract to them, deliver on the on the promise that we made to them, and you know, give them the pieces that they're asking for and then we're going to continue it you know jumping off from the footage that we had already shot right uh, leveraging the relationships we'd already started up Built, there yeah. with 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 subjects with translators with families yeah. with you know even at that point i mean you know the value of having having a taxi driver that yeah, you, yeah, that yeah, you know course. you know <laughs> he's gonna pick up the phone when i call yeah. and he or she will be there so so came home resolved to continue on our own yeah um and set about kind of trying to figure out how to fund how to fund that how to make that happen logistically uh fired off some grant applications yeah. started talking about it and building out the ideas and writing and planning and doing treatments and um seeking advice of of uh, people more senior documentary filmmakers totally. than we and just yeah so I, I mean there's a bit there's a big spoiler that i have to figure out how to talk around you exactly know? and and how are you dealing with that in the media this idea of a spoiler um i knew about it because i read about it have you guys made a conscious effort to avoid that or are you letting people know yeah how are you working with that yeah well sort of? for for your listeners chris i don't think it's yeah. good i don't think i need to like be coy about about yeah. the, the the fact that our subject changed uh, you know our principal subject um w just about the time that we had a grant uh come uh, a grant fulfilled we, we were awarded a grant that would enable us to go back to nepal right um we got a phone call from the executive director of the organization that we had worked for he called to let us know that our main subject shanta had uh, died by her own hand and would we please as soon as possible, create a version of the documentary we'd created for him without her. Just take her out. S strike that one girl. And, of course, it was, a, it was a crushing... We were really emotionally involved, continue to be really emotionally involved yeah. with, with this girl. And, 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 and Shanta's death really, really rocked us. I mean, it, it threw... Amy in particular for a real, real loop. Yeah, um, we did that work. We f we filled that out, and as soon as we could, we took that grant money and went over there. Amy went over right away within just a couple of weeks of learning of her death, and talked with her family and tried to, to you know, we didn't know. So 
you know, so really what this becomes is a story about what happens as a documentarian when your story, the rug of your story just gets pulled out from under you. Right. And, um, and meanwhile, you're also dealing with sort of with this, <clears throat> if you will, a client relationship, right? You've created a piece of work that you've made. Um, well, you, you fulfilled your commitment to, to this particular NGO, and then they're asking you to perhaps recut something that's already been done. Right. So how are you dealing with that and then dealing with, okay, now we know that our story has changed drastically. We want to follow this story in, in as compassionate as a way as we can. And then you're also kind of dealing with this other NGO relationship. How do you do that? It was a fairly straightforward ask that they made. We didn't like to remove Shanta from the materials. Yeah. We wanted, you know, in, in, in our perfect world, Amy and, Amy and my feelings about it were, if you have integrity, you will embrace this as an opportunity to learn. Of course, right. But I don't presume to make those sorts of decisions for the leadership of yeah. an NGO, particularly <laughs> not a client, and that's not it's not our place. Yeah. yeah. So we we did the work, we fulfilled that, and they they paid us. You know, I mean, we asked right. they asked how much is it going to cost to 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 do this, and they paid us. Um, they did also say, oh, by the way, you can't use any of the footage that you shot. We went ahead and used it. The, right. co the contractual language, such as it was, was casual enough that we didn't have, they didn't have any rights to the footage that we had shot. How do you best handle that kind of a situation that allows you to continue making the film that you need to make? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how do you handle it? It's an incredibly delicate situation. A lot of filmmakers, a lot of would-be, will-be, wanna-be, gonna-be filmmakers and a lot of mid-career filmmakers mm. do stuff for NGOs. And right. the the price of admission is high very often because you you don't get paid like you do for a commercial gig. And but what they can offer is pre-existing relationships, access, which is that's that's what we fetishize. We want to get close to people. I think that's why we do this work. Yeah, right. um, we want to understand how people communicate with one another. We want to be in their lives and we want to know people that we wouldn't know otherwise. Um, so in return for doing this work for very little money for nonprofits, we need to be sure that we're going to own the work that we do. Some of it's going to be proprietary, but I would say just like don't do, don't sign work for hire contracts with your NGO clients. Right. Make sure that Yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm, not, I'm going to take a cut in pay. I'm going to own the copyright. I'm, my, my the releases are going to be on my letterhead. The material I shoot is going to be mine should I choose to leverage it forward. Right. You make sure that you, in essence, as a filmmaker, you own that footage. Right. We didn't do that exactly, but okay. we also didn't sign anything that was work for hire per se. Right. So there wasn't. There was a, a, a two a, a very casual contractual. Uh, arrangement between yeah. us and the nonprofit that we worked for that ended up working in our favor in the sense that they didn't have a leg to stand on should they have wished to actually litigate. Right. It's helpful to sort of hear that because a lot of us can find ourselves in a situation where suddenly, you know, after years of, of a passion project, suddenly that the footage is taken from us or we can't even get out the door with our edited rough cutter or whatever the case may be. And Anything to help people sort of avoid those sorts of things, I'm all about. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing that.
everybody, by the time you're by the time you're 15 or so, you've probably had some experience with suicide um, uh, around you. Unfortunately, it's prevalent enough uh, across human experience that you know most people have been touched by it at Absolutely. some point in their life, and the closer that touch is temporarily, emotionally, the more problematic it can be to have somebody else's suicide drop in your yeah, lap in, a, in right, the middle of a story right. you've become invested in with, yeah. a, with, a, with, a, with a character you've become invested in. We really constructed the story so that it mirrored the arc of, of our, I say our, I mean mine and Amy's, um, journey with the characters, with the, with the arc of the story. So we went yeah. in yeah. kind of naively, kind of excited about the potential and fell in love with this character and began to see what possibilities she had in her life. Yeah. And then bang, it's cut it's cut short. And then you know in in real life we didn't really know where we were going. We just knew we had to keep telling her story. We had promised right. Shanta we were telling her story. We would tell her story. Yeah. And we couldn't not do that. It was compulsive. I mean in that passion project way. I, I wouldn't have been doing that if we did, if we felt like we had a choice. I had alluded earlier and probably in, in the introduction about how oftentimes um, a project as a filmmaker can lead to something that we may never, or we may certainly not have known prior to, um, whether it's an endeavor, whether it's another project, um, whether it's in, in, in yours and Amy's case, um, the content matter uh, of your film and what ha transpires in your film would would lead you to um, this education program that you guys have embarked upon. Um, I was going to get to that later, but that segue was so halfway decent that why don't we just talk about that now? <laughs> Here's to halfway decent segues. Yeah. Last fall in November, we had a great honor of taking the film back to Kathmandu for a couple of screenings. It screened at the Kathmandu International Mountain Film Festival and at Film South Asia, both of which were are, are well-regarded South Asian festivals. Absolutely. Um, and while we were there, we hustled the thing around and, and talked with a lot of people. And through, um, through a connection at the U.S. Embassy, and through a connection that we made ahead ahead of time on the suicide uh, suicide awareness tip, um, should we wait till the street cleaner's done going by? No, it's beautiful. It's part of the ambience. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, For our listeners, we're actually in a um, in a fairly historic building in Seattle, very close to Safeco Field and Century Link. Um, uh, 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 this is. Uh, Tell me the name of the building. In Inscape. it's called Inscape Arts. Yeah, uh, and it's it's uh, it's an artist uh, art studios building that's made from the uh, the old Immigration Naturalization Services uh, uh, West Coast Depot, uh, which was decommissioned, I think, in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, it's been just sitting here. Excuse me. <laughs> it's been sitting here just more or less empty for several years until it was developed a few years ago, and we've been we've been. Uh, having our studios here since since it opened amazing i think it's an entirely appropriate place for people like you and i to have to be doing our work that's a wonderful spot i feel it's really awesome. lucky to be here yeah, yeah for sure and so if you hear noises in the background it's because scott scott and i have the windows open because it's it's a uh, this is a particularly hot weekend in the pacific northwest so we will deal with some background noise please continue scott 
so we hooked up with some with some uh, with a with a suicide researcher. Uh, Ashley Hageman um, is a, a PhD candidate suicide researcher who was working um, uh, uh, on a project partly funded by Fulbright, um, and who worked with us to pull clips and create presentations to bring pieces of our film to groups of students in Kathmandu. And we and while while we were there, I think Amy and Ashley had three or four presentations which were really we really well received. But the audiences of largely of, of high school aged or young college aged women were just wrapped, just blown away, and 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 their and their teachers also were interested to learn just the very idea of suicide awareness, of of the fact that there might be a hotline that you could call if right. you were thinking about suicide or if you had questions about suicide, um, was entirely new and 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 really exciting. It seemed really clear that. Uh, that there are a lot of people thinking about suicide with no outlet, um, and so that's that's the jumping-off point for what we think is is probably our our biggest make the film work yeah. um, project is to get it going as part of a, as you know to build out a suicide awareness and prevention curriculum that we can take out send out in Nepal. <laughs> Nepal, I don't know, you know, not everybody understands, but Nepal is enormously decentralized. There's there's one capital city, there's sort of three principal cities, but most of the country lives in, I mean, huge, it's, I think 29 or 30 million Nepal uh, people live in Nepal. And of those, kind of four million live in cities and the other 28 to 20 or 20 26 million people live in in, in small villages I mean maybe you know between a, a few hundred and a, a few thousand people spread across hills and most people are subsistence farmers live live by subsistence agriculture and they they don't have a central government they don't have a really centralized media even I mean the, the experience of the average Nepali their their ability to receive programmatic information from yeah. a central government or from cultural center is so so much less than what we're used to and that's and that's even putting it mildly right um i think it was one of the things that and this is now we're coming back to your film and some of the content and some of the beauty of it i feel like that was what's one of the things that spoke to me the most about seeing your your guys's film was that I haven't been back to the Nepal since 2013, 2011, 2013. Um, it's been a few years. And upon seeing your film, I, the next morning when I woke up and I, and I told Steph this, um, I, I, I said, Steph, I feel like I've been back to Nepal. The sounds, the visuals, the way that you had the story cut, the way that you to told the story itself was very much in line with how I felt, hmm. granted being a Westerner through my lens, how I felt like life worked in those parts of Nepal. I felt like in watching your film, and I'm, I'm getting off path here, I, I don't mean to, but I felt like in watching your film, almost every step of the way, <laughs> I was like, yup, 
Yep, that happens. Yep, that's exactly the way that works. That's how that happens. Um, yeah, and 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 ironically, in some ways, for your audience, it could. I would think, as a filmmaker, it can almost work against you, because it's it's not a happy, super upbeat film. But my God, I, <laughs> as a documentary filmmaker. It was pretty damn close to perfection in the way that it was told, the way that it was executed, and the way that I know, in my experiences at least, that's how it is in Nepal. And and you you, you guys just turned the lens to it and did a wonderful job of it. Thank you, Chris. The you know it's 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 very gratifying to hear you say you know to, because that's what we wanted to do. We, yeah. You know we knew we knew when you go okay our our subject killed herself yeah. like we're not suddenly we're not going to have the 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 triumphal arc of the promise of of girls education right um, um building out the the dream of globalization this is not the film that we ended up with and we just fell into this amazing relationship with this family and the film that we ended up with is hugely intimate I mean, I'm, I'm just, just, I remain so excited about the the relationship that we forged with the with the family, yeah. uh, with Shanta's family, and and as time has gone on, in a, in a in a way, not to take anything away from her, her part in it, mm. but she is less the anchor of the story and the family in general. It's a it's a it's a family love story. It's a you I know, think it's so a too. Globalization family epic in any epic there's tragedy and and have they seen the film scott yeah okay. oh my gosh the please share share that well so before we this is kind of crazy so uh a little more than a year ago is uh, is when there was a big earthquake in in nepal a couple right. of big earthquakes um the day before the first earthquake our Nepali co-director, Ramiata Limbu, um, who's super badass in Nepal. She's just kind of owns journalism in Nepal in a, in a real important way. Ramiata, she was in the village showing the film to the family and to select people in the village who had been, who had been in the film or had questions about yeah. it. And she sent us this report, this really glowing report of how the family felt. We were, of course, a little bit nervous because oh, it, it doesn't... It, it, it's very they're very vulnerable it's a very raw document and people are shown in in uh, sometimes not their best lights and yeah. you know we, we aren't scandal mongering by any means but we right. also aren't paving over the parts where people are jerks to each other or have yeah. bad feelings and they speak very candidly about it absolutely and and the the, the upshot of what of what they said and they and they said this to us as well when we came back in November they said you know, yeah, it's a little bit, it feels kind of funny, but the fact is, we see what you're doing here. And this is us. This is truth. And um, when, you know, when we got that email from, from Ramyata letting us know, essentially, that they didn't have any beef with the story, but more to the point, that they really did get it as well as we thought they did. Get what we were doing. And that they had this this really like evolved understanding of our relationship with them and the reason that we were there. It felt so, uh, it just, it, it just, it really put some wind in our sails. It made us feel like, okay, what, 
we're not this isn't all presumptuous folly we're not, you know we right. aren't just foreigners with enough money to have some cameras oh yeah who are curious oh, yeah. <laughs> and indulging our curiosity upon them we just have we just happen to have this this oddball and somehow beautifully functional little connection with yeah. this one family that's being affected by um, you know these big winds of globalization oh, yeah. that that's that's just how we have our finger on the pulse of it. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine how incredibly gratifying and satisfying as a filmmaker to be putting that much work into telling the story of a family and to have their response be the way that they responded. Because, um, I mean, it's one thing to tell the story of a family. It's another, in, in another culture, in a, de- in a developing country, um, and have them not only understand what you're trying to achieve but also to then embrace it that's not easy to do that's really not easy to do now i come from an editing background so as a storyteller i i sort of I think like as a director, I think like an editor. That's because I've edited for years. That's what I've done. That's that was my bread and butter for a while. And when I saw your film, I was absolutely taken with the editing. First off, Fiona Otway, who's who's edited um, uh, Helen back Helen again, back again and yeah. um, uh, Iraq and fragments. Yep. Did you guys right know now. her from Seattle? We knew her from here. From the yeah. Doc community. Okay. We knew her from Seattle's documentary community. Yeah. And when we came to Seattle, she was one of the kind of one of the first people that we met, and she was uh, uh, at that point, 2005. We came to Seattle. She had already finished Iraq and fragments, which we had seen before we met her. Okay. Um, and and even before Amy and I were identifying as filmmakers. We both tripped about the specifically the editing of yeah. that film, James Longley's film Iraq and Fragments, yeah. which also takes a very uh, a very different approach to a category of story than what's customary. Right. Um, and and we just love that. We love how how you know Amy and I have spent time in in the Middle East, and and it was it was really key to be able to see. Um, Day to day Iraqi life presented in an authentic way that was respectful of human beings living in these realities, right. where there's a war visited upon them by uh, our country. Right. <laughs> and the editing of that film just blew us away. Like, be- before we even really knew that we were being blown away by the editing, we were like, oh my God, that film was edited so amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. And then we met the editor, uh, Fiona, and just sort of looked at ourselves and were like, if we, you know, when, when we do film, she's going to cut it. That's incredible. For the listeners of this program, I, uh, I've seen three of the films that she has cut now. Um, and uh, there is a connection through uh, a dear friend of mine who lives out of Brooklyn. He had mentioned Fiona's name a number of times because they're good friends and they're colleagues. So I know of Fiona through my friend and then through... I, uh, I rock in fragments and threw Helen back again. And now that I've heard the praise over the past few years from my friend, now that I've seen three films that I've absolutely loved the editing of, I feel like I have maybe the feeling that you guys had years ago. <laughs> and if Fiona ever gets ears to this podcast, 
<laughs> We're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's tremendous, an amazing storyteller. Degree, I would love to have her as a guest sometime. Yeah, right, I mean, the the degree of investment of of heart that that Fiona brought to this process, and the and the breadth of her understanding of what goes into an edit, um, astonished me. I mean, it just yeah. astonished me. Her her investment that. I just can't say enough. I mean, I can't say enough about it. And she knows that I'll praise her to the moon. Yeah. So uh, I won't embarrass her even if she does get ears on this thing. <laughs> you guys had the discussion about who your audience is. Did she have input as an editor who she felt like the audience was? Or because she was sort of in your employee, if you will, was she asking you, tell me who your audience is and I'll cut to that. I'll make the story to that. We didn't ever have that conversation per se. The conversation we had was, let's let's make the story. Let's make let's do everything we can to make each of these characters as perfectly authentic as possible, given what you have in the can. Render their relationships as truthfully, as authentically as possible. I mean, our our mandate and the and that that which Fiona both brought and took. Like she, I mean, she came in. That's why she came is yeah. because the the that that authenticity is king um, mindset. Yeah. And what we strove for every day in the edit was. Who is this person? Building the film to the audience, we didn't. We didn't build the film to the audience. We just built the film to be its its most drawing the tigerish self. Like it, you know. We we just kept asking the film what it wanted, what it needed to be, what it was, and making it closer and closer to that. What is it like to be working with one's partner? In your case, uh, Amy, your wife. How did you guys come to work together on this particular project then? I went to journalism school, um, master's, master's degree journalism school at University of California at Berkeley in 2001. And Amy was teaching. She's a very accomplished teacher of uh, uh, middle school. She was working for an all-girls yes. middle school in Oakland. And Whoa, a place to be doing that. After I got Especially out of, um, after I got out of journalism school, I'm kind of like bumping around in freelance world a little bit. During the time that I was in, that I was, I was working in Romania with uh, with a population of uh, homeless kids that live in the sewers in Bucharest. There's a doc that I saw about this. A Chil- of years yeah, ago. children of the underground, of course. Yeah, Edith Belsberg. Amazing okay. film. Okay, I know some okay. of those kids. It just happened uh, to be. Uh, there you go. That's uh, that's why I was like, now wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, God, that was a huge, when I saw that. That was a huge film. That it's was, uh, that's an amazing, amazing film. documentary. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, Amy came and visited me okay. while I was there, mm-hmm. and the way that the dynamic among those kids, uh, you know, between between me between us, the outsiders, and those kids changed when Amy came on site. Like, I'd forged one kind of relationship with them, and when she came, a whole new segment opened up, and I got humanized by having a partner, and she got to the girls um, who'd been closed because of, you know, traditional gender uh, boundaries. Totally. And we both saw 
like to our um, fear and amazement that something special happens when we work together. Right. Okay. Okay. There it is. There it is. Jump ahead a couple of years, and I just had this really clever notion that I should woo Amy away from her good, secure teaching job with healthcare and <laughs> a paycheck and come and do documentary filmmaking. Well, I wouldn't me. want to do that. Yeah. What the <laughs> heck? The economy's about to collapse, so why don't exactly. we start making films? It's <laughs> the perfect time yeah. to do that. Oh, yeah. So um, so we did that. So we did that. We started, you know, kind of began, identified ourselves as nonfiction media and moved back. Introduced ourselves to Seattle's arts community, basically by just handing out documentaries. Like, you got a, you got an org that needs a film? We'll do it. We'll do it. Um, and in the, in the course of that, and then we sort of shot weddings. Um, at, the, at the same time, still photography and of weddings. Of course, yeah. A uh, great way to keep your chops owned. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, You're telling stories. It's, it's fun. It's hard work, but it's fun. I it enjoy shooting work. weddings. Yeah. It's been a little while since we've done one, and I don't, you know. Yeah. It was hard work, and I didn't enjoy it. So Didn't enjoy it? I didn't do that very long. No. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a competitive nature between you guys at all when you work together? No. Why? Because it hurts more than it helps. We've organically developed and never really, this is actually, a, if it, it's on our list of things to do, <laughs> is yeah. to, to sort of write down yeah. our, our respective roles in our business. Yeah. Um, job description. Yep. Relative to nonfiction media, relative to uh, a big project. You know, sometimes one of us will take a lead on a project, sometimes the other. Primarily, um, um, Amy writes and produces and I shoot and do logistics yep. she she directs we co-produce okay I mean to, to put to put those very broad and nebulous terms to right, it but often of course you're wearing you each a, other's wearing the other yeah. hat and at any number of times uh, you know if it has to do with gear it's probably I'm I'm the lead got it if it has to do with hearts Amy's the lead okay are there any thoughts anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to say um, and by all means also, Please let us know how we can see Drawing the Tiger, the film that we've been talking about at length today. Um, and then if you had any other thoughts or questions that you wanted to ask me. The best way to see the film, uh, we don't have it uh, available yet for streaming. So the best way to do that is to just go to our website, drawingthetiger.com, yeah. and sign up for, for, for email updates. That way, when we do get it uh, available for VOD or whatever, we'll yeah. be able to let everybody know um, that's that's signed up. Sign up to the Facebook page. It's yes. Facebook.com slash Drawing the Tiger. Yeah. Um, so super straightforward there. I wish we. Ha I wish I had a more exciting answer about that. Do you guys have a timeline for distribution? Well, we just we just signed an educational distribution deal with Women Make Movies. Um, great. great outfit. We're super excited about it. Okay. And there's a bit of a window where we're not going to be able to put Unless they unless they decide it's what they want to do, it's not going to go up to video on demand for for streaming okay. um, anytime really soon. Yeah, but they are going to keep it in the public conversation somewhat. Okay. Is the idea? And yeah. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you, a pleasure to actually come up and meet you. I hope to meet Amy someday. I'd love for you to be able to meet my family as well. Um, we're not that far apart. I'm, I'm excited to have shared a conversation with you, Chris. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's gratifying to talk to somebody who knows a little bit of the landscape where our film took place yeah. and and obviously gratifying that you speak so highly of it so thank you thanks for uh, undertaking to have the conversation thank you scott thank you so much 
and I hope to do it again. It'd be great. I'd like that too. Hey, it's me again, Chris, and I want to just take a moment to thank you for listening to The Documentary Life. Without you, this podcast doesn't exist. Of course, I need your ears, I need your downloads, but maybe even more importantly than that, I need your input. We all need your input. What I mean by that is I'd like to hear some of your experiences and insight into this world of documentary filmmaking. We all have our own stories and wisdom, and we need to share them with one another. So I'd like to encourage you to email me at chris at barongfilms.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at B-A-R-A-N-G-F-I-L-M-S dot com. And share some of your stories, insight, and inspiration. And then what I'd love to be able to do is share some of this insight and wisdom with listeners of this program. I mean, wouldn't it be really cool to start a bit of a support group through this podcast? Again, that email, chris at barongfilms.com. Also, please take a moment to offer me some constructive criticism and suggestions. What would you like to hear more of on this show? What special guests would you like me to speak with? Look, it's early times, so your feedback truly can directly impact the shape that this show takes in the future. In short, I'm hoping to really see this documentary life community grow, because it is truly only through you that we may best learn how to help one another live our documentary dreams. The website for the show, which contains all of the podcast episodes, as well as additional blog writing, is www.thedocumentarylife.com. When you go there, please consider subscribing to our email list so that we may contact you when the latest episode goes live. You can also subscribe via your mobile device's podcast app or through iTunes. And if you do use iTunes, please consider giving me a star rating as well as a review. I know that everyone says this, but it truly is the most effective way to get the show seen and heard by more people that visit iTunes. In advance, thank you so much for helping me out with this. As you know, I'm pretty new to this podcast thing, so any and all support is massively appreciated. Till next time, I remain your host, Chris G. Parkhurst. So long, thanks for listening, and keep on living your documentary life.